Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggles of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Bissell. I'm Liz Manischel. This week, we are really excited to welcome local Bay Area filmmaker Anthony Aguilar to the show. Anthony, welcome, man. Hey, thanks so much for having me on here. Yay! True and how badly did I say your last name? Was it close? No, you you were you were pretty close. It's um, the correct because I'm I'm Portuguese, so the correct sort of oh, Americanized cool. version to say that is Aguiar. Aguiar, okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. actually part Portuguese too, man. And my oh, really? like, well, actually, my grandfather and my mom both grew up in San Leandro in the Portuguese Portuguese neighborhood over there. Oh, so, wow. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah huge portuguese community out there absolutely i was listening to old episodes Ulrich, and this oh, really? is a motif this is, is the it? motif that we have what's the it's motif we say a name and then we say we butchered it and uh, then we yeah. talk for two minutes about how to pronounce the right. name <laughs> i like it so now now we're good we're off at a good start we're ready okay. to go um so anthony you're you've been a listener of the show for a while um as well as a local filmmaker which is always exciting to hear um and uh just for everybody who doesn't know who you are can you just give us your one minute bio yeah so uh i'm a filmmaker out here in the uh, san francisco bay area and most of my work has been in short films and i've had you know films play at festivals and all that stuff and so sort of the big mountain that i had to climb was making that that first feature and so i finally uh made that feature and i did it out here uh to maintain continuity and um yeah and so that's that's pretty much in a nutshell what who I am, I guess. And, and what do you do for a day job? Are you in the video production world, or do you do other things? Yeah. Well, this year I've just been focusing just freelance uh, film editing, and like editing is like the one job I wouldn't mind doing for other people, like because I love it so much. Oh, nice. Um, so that's what I've been, yeah, focusing on this year. What kind of editing do you do? Well, it's been mostly like uh, corporate stuff, and there's been uh, there's been one sort of fictional piece that. That was fun to do, uh, like a pilot almost, but uh, mostly stuff that's not really, you know, narrative, but, corporate. but still, it's still related. Yeah, corporate. It, it's, yeah. What, it's what we do to pay the bills, my friend. I do the same thing. Right. Um, I also produce it and shoot stuff too, but uh, if I ever need an editor, I know who to call. Yeah, right in the neighborhood. My partner and I, well, so I edit, my partner edits, but uh, he hates editing, so he's like trying to find editors to call. So, uh, you know. Good to know. Oh, perfect. Um, so, man, I was just really excited to hear about this feature. But before we get into that, I kind of want to get a little bit of a back history about your experience before the feature. So the shorts that you made, were they kind of all made in the same sort of process as the feature film? Or did you make things with like spending a little bit of money on them, like $5,000, $10,000 short films? Or were you just kind of making them on your own? The short films were sort of like the testing ground for what the feature became. And, I'll, and I can go into how I made it, but like, like very much so. Like that was sort of like, can I actually do this in a s- short way? And if I can, maybe we could try a feature length version of this. And what do you mean by that? Like what aspects of the production were you testing? So for me, there's always been this sort of battle in my mind, the way that film school teaches the way that you should make movies and the way that people actually end up making movies when they get out of film school and all that. Um, and so I approached this and I, the way I've approached all my short films has been sort of from like this documentary approach where you can go out with a camera, a couple lavalier microphones, and you can make a movie. And there's been like Academy Award winning documentaries that have been made this way. And so the question in my mind has always been, why can't you just go and do that? Because in a fictional setting, you could actually go back and do it again. So it's, it's in a way it's easier. 
because first of all, you're you're very you know liberated by the the equipment and the freedom of that, and you can go back and do it again if you have to. So break down for us exactly your process. So is it just you and a camera and two lavaliers uh, with your actors, or and, and what kind of camera is it? Like just talk us through your process. So um, the whole sort of um, idea behind finding the like the best gear and and doing those short films was I wanted to find like the best quality you can get for like. A very small sort of package show. The Black Magic uh, Pocket Cinema camera, the original one, was what we shot uh, the feature on. And so, the idea behind that was like it's it's a very sort of discreet camera. You know, no one really thinks you're making a big thing because of the way it looks. And yeah, it, it was just that camera and some lavaliers. And occasionally, I did have uh, two of my friends help me out if I needed to like uh, have them pick up something or go to the car and get something. But for I'd say sixty percent of the of the feature, it was just me and a camera and the actors. And we haven't even name checked your feature yet. So do you mind saying what the movie is and um, like I don't not a logline, but like something about it? Yeah. So it, the movie is called How to Grow a Tiger Lily, and uh, it's an LGBT uh, feature film, and it's about this this woman who suffers from really crippling sort of anxiety. And uh, prior to the movie starting, she sort of already came out to her mom, but it sort of takes place in this area where she sort of retreated back in the closet. And so the film, in a lot of ways, is about her trying to rekindle that fire that she had before and sort of reevaluate who she is. Nice. And uh, I'm going to go back to technical questions. So what did you do for sound? Like, did you record directly into the, the pocket camera or did you have a Zoom recorder as well? So, yeah, I, I didn't do that because the, the pocket camera really has bad sound. I'm sure if anybody, uh, any listeners have shot with it, it, it's it's not a good idea to record directly to it. So we we did everything on uh, two systems uh, setup. So we would shoot. Can I can I, can I get technical on here? Is that all right? That's what I want to hear, man. Yes. Yeah. So so we we were shooting on like a Sennheiser uh, transmitter that was going into uh, a Zoom H1. Nice. And then um, and then we'd had a Zoom H1 uh, for like a second actor. And then we would just sync that all in pluralize. And so I was really only monitoring one uh, mic, but I did have the ability to, um, if, if one mic happened to go bad, there was always the other one that was uh, free and, and can be used afterward. Wait, so you used two Zooms? So you had one Zoom for one mic and another Zoom for another mic? Right, right. I had one wow. Zoom that was going into the transmitter so I could monitor it, and the other Zoom was just sort of free and just wow. wild in case wow. I needed it. Or and, and that was wrong. like yeah. just on the the mics that are on the Zoom itself, basically? No, no, no. Uh, so we actually had oh. like lavalier. So. Oh, so another so yeah, two so lavaliers, basically. Yeah, so, two so one lavalier was going to one Zoom, another lavalier was going to another Zoom. Right. Yes. Wow. And that's uh, crazy. Yeah, no, yeah. I never heard of that before. Because you know, like I have a Zoom that's like an it's like a H4n or whatever, and it's got four inputs, so I could just run two into that one directly. But um, yeah, if you got the H1s, this is like the I don't know if you know the Zoom. Uh, the H1 is like a really pocketable little black oh. uh, recorder. Is it a tiny little one or something? Yeah, yeah. It's sort of like the. Um, I forgot what it's called, but Rode released a sort of a version of this now where it's very, you could just put it on an actor and it's just, it fits in their pocket and all that. Well, yeah. So I just saw the Rode version the other day. It's like basically a recorder and transmitter in one where that like hooks up to the, to the, um, you know, to the, the transmitter and it's like the receiver and it records to it. At least that's the, what the Rode one I think that I saw was. 
It was pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, it sort of sounds like the same idea. Yeah. So was that hard? Like, did you sometimes have one go off versus the other one? Or did they always kind of work for you? You know, believe it or not, for the whole course of the 19 days that we filmed this this film, I did not have any hiccups. Uh, there was only, there was one time when there was three actors involved that there was, there was like a, a rustling that happened. But other than that, I was able to use the... Uh, the production recordings that we did on the day. And then, and you're shooting, right, yourself? Or did you have a cinematographer? Right. No, it's just all, it's just me and a camera. Wow. So you're like looking at the camera and doing focus and all that and monitoring one audio uh, channel at the same time? Right. Exactly. Crazy, dude. (laughs) Like all of this stuff wasn't just, oh, I'm just going to show up. Like, like I said, like all of this stuff have been tested and like, I made sure to have sort of, if something went wrong, you know, I can, you know, salvage something. No, it's just a lot to take on as as a, as a director, you know, to be, you know, not only doing sound, but to be doing camera and to be doing performance. And oh, like, yeah, totally. To be basically the, be the, the only producer as well. It's like, that's just a lot to be putting on your plate while you're making a film, you know? De- definitely. Um, but I, I felt it was it, like at the same time, like I said, it, it was liberating because, for instance, if I had a big crew behind me, like 10 or 20 people, and I just wanted to shoot, you know, behind me, I could just turn the camera and say, hey, let's let's go do this. We had this great idea. Let's just do it. <laughs> right. But like, you know, so there's 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 pros and cons of, you know. But I think there's another elephant in the room, which is the you're a dude and you made a film that's female centric from the LGBTQ perspective. And I just want to hear a little bit about the personal connection to the material, if you're willing to share. Oh, definitely. Like, so I'm gay. So uh, it, it was originally uh, a, a gay project and and the, the casting of it was quite uh, laborious. And, and it took it took quite a while because, first of all, I didn't mention like the, the, the feature is all improvised. Like, damn, dude. the dialogue is improvised. It's based off an outline. I would I would have not guessed that based off of what I watched. Holy shit. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, th- that was sort of the, the idea was to, to like, if we're going to embrace this Dogma 95 documentary like thing, let's. Let's fully embrace it. So, yeah, a lot of it, uh, no, all of it, well, besides like a section in, in a wood scene in the middle of the movie, is, is the dialogue is completely improvised. I was about to say, how could the heck you could do, could you do that? Right. <laughs> I'm a, yeah. No and spoilers, I, no spoilers. <laughs> no spoilers, okay, yeah. But there's a section in the movie that me and Ulrich are talking about that, that I had to, because there was sort of like light compositing that was going on. Your sexuality does come into play in terms of authorship, right? And so thank you for being willing to share that, which you didn't have to do. Um, but I wanted to hear a little bit more of the perspective of why you made the film. What was the personal goals for telling this story? Oh, yeah. Sorry. So, um, so yeah, l- like I said, I originally wrote this as a gay project. Um, and through the, through the casting of it, I just started getting uh, these actresses that were doing these incredible supporting uh, auditions for supporting roles. And, and the wheels just started to turn in me, like, you know, no, what if this was a female-centric project? I haven't seen that movie before. I'd like to see that movie. And I haven't seen a character like this in a movie. And so that's where uh, the male sort of centered project became a female-centered project. And that just opened up way more doors, just creatively and also um, just the people that I met. Did you take any steps to uh, ensure that when you switched it from being a male perspective to a female perspective, that you were keeping the authenticity? Or was that kind of coming across since it was all improvised that you just sort of found that authenticity through the actors? Well, the authenticity of of the story that I was trying to tell is the same, whether it be male or female. And I hope 
I hope people within the whole spectrum of the LGBT community can relate to the story in some way, um, because, um, you know, it, it's sort of out of all the communities, you know, we, we sort of have a sort of unique experience in terms of, you know, this, this, this discussion about identity and, and, and how, um, we deal with it. And, uh, the authenticity was really, um, well, sorry, I'm a little nervous. <laughs> no, I mean, okay. I think that's a, a really good answer um, because it, it basically comes from from your story and your perspective and that in your mind, whether it's male or female, it doesn't really change the game, which, you know, works yeah. too, I think. Right. And the question wasn't to, you know, put you on the spot. I mean, I believe that men have been telling women's stories for hundreds of years and they've done a great job doing it. So I'm not anti. <laughs> a dude right. telling the story of these two women. I just was like, what? what is the missing connection that I'm not aware of? So that that was super helpful for me to hear. Right. And let me just say, I don't know if this happened in the introduction, but like, this is my first like sort of official podcast. Oh, and really? So it is an honor to be. Yeah. And so and so to be on a podcast that I was listening to while I was already deep into the making of it <laughs> and, and to have Liz, who I would watch. Uh, uh, on YouTube is just really an honor. So, so thank you. And I apologize. I apologize if I'm nervous or no, if I no, stutter. Oh great, God. man. No, it's awesome. No, you're fine. Yeah, I, that, that was a you know more of a hardball question than what I normally ask. But uh, you know that's a Timothy question. I'm asking more. I'm not deterred. I'm asking all hardball questions from now on. No, bring it on. No, I love it. <laughs> yeah, totally. And it's a totally valid question. Absolutely. I mean, I always ask that question too when I see um, a movie that's like representing certain types of characters that. That um, maybe the filmmakers don't represent. It's always good to. I mean, I had that question with uh, these guys who made uh, the North Pole um, on an episode recently, and they had a really great answer for that question oh, too. Yeah. You know, I think there's like this. There's like this quote that. Oh, just I just wanted to say. Like, there's this quote that like that Spielberg said once about about directing ET, and he said you didn't have to be an alien to direct ET. But you know, and, and so I, I've sort of always thought like you know you totally. can still have. You know, you don't have to be that person. You can, you could still have empathy. That, that's what cinema is all about. At least for me, like you can walk into somebody else's shoes for an hour and a half, and you can experience something you never did. And that's it's all about that. And so, yeah, it's interesting because this is just to take this completely off the rails. I was talking to my wife about a story idea I had where there would be two um, lesbian characters, like a lesbian couple, in the story, and then like I was explaining my idea for the side story, and she was like, "Well, why?" <coughs> Why do you think you have the right to tell that as a story in your movie? And it's like, well, I mean, I don't know. I'm just because I think it's interesting and I think it's just like something different. And, uh, you know, I guess I would have to do some kind of research or some sort of get some sort of consultant to make it authentic. But I don't think there's any reason why we can't have different characters with different types of backgrounds in our films, even though we don't necessarily represent those people, you know. I think, yeah, anyone mm -hmm. could tell any story. It's just I want to know why. Right. Why did you choose that right. story? That's what I'm curious about. Okay. And I'm also just like desperately curious about your connection to Dogma 95, because that was a major inspiration for me as a filmmaker. And I know, I know Ulrich wants to ask all the technical questions, but I don't want to hear about <laughs> Zoom recorders. I want to hear about <laughs> Lars von Trier and Thomas Vitterberg and all these Scandinavian names I can't say and how they inspired you. Yeah, totally. Like that, that is sort of the core of, of the project is, is watching those those movies that was done that were done with like with you know very cheap equipment with with really focusing on the performance and the actors and tr sort of making the statement that like you don't need these huge crews you don't need all this all these bells and whistle, wh whistles to to make your movie you can just 
easily uh, go out and do it if you if you really sort of have a grasp of technology and and you know just having good support team around you of right. actors and all that. I think it really does take the right story too, because not every story can be told in this mm-hmm. way, you know. And I feel like Definitely, yeah. there are certain ones that uh, really appeal to this kind of style of filmmaking. And uh, I would list how to grow a tiger lily in that, and that's obviously by ch- by design, you know. But I think you did a good job right. of like picking a story that fit this mold of filmmaking in a good way, while also sort of plussing it and like showing us things that we don't necessarily expect in this kind of film at the same time, which I really appreciated, you know. Um, and it's a little bit of a genre bender too, which I also kind of like in a way, you know. Right. You, you, you're absolutely right, though. Like, like I couldn't, you, you know, you, if you're going to make a movie like Dogma 95, you know, they, they didn't, the Dogma movies aren't like taking place on a spaceship, you know, and, and like, I, I'm not saying you couldn't do that, but like, you have to be re- realistic about like what you can do, given the circumstances that you're putting yourself in. And it's almost like you, you become more creative when you have sort of limitations put on you. Um, and so the, the script was sort of built around this idea of like, what do I have? What do I have access to, you know? And, and, and so you definitely sort of, if you're trying to make a movie like this, you should definitely look at that as um, a guide. And those are the type of filmmakers that I personally want to support are filmmakers like you, Anthony, who want to tell a story and have the gumption to do so and have the bravery to set restrictions upon yourself. I went to USC where everyone wanted to be that mini Spielberg and they wanted to make that science fiction epic. And it's so much it's so much better to hear a story about someone who just wants to make a movie and wants to be creative about the ways that they don't have all the resources at their disposal. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think, I think ultimately like what we were talking about, uh, this idea that, um, you don't, you don't need to have, um, you don't need to have like a, a certain amount of crew and a certain amount of that all sort of boils down to, you don't need to wait. You could just go out and do it. If, if you have the passion and, and, and uh, you know, the endurance, to, to, be, to be honest. So I have a few questions, um, and they're not only technical, so, you know, you'll be glad, Liz. Um, <laughs> like, talk to us about your process. So, like, when you started this project, like, talk to us about how long it took you to prep, how long it took you to cast, and then how long it took you to shoot the film. Okay, so uh, we... I originally started writing this script um, in 2014, and it was written like a, a traditional script with with dialogue and and all that. And so uh, casting began sort of in 2015, and then sort of that was the male version of it. And then and in the course of 2015, uh, we went to 2016, and it became a female centric project. So we started looking for. Uh, female actresses. I was just going to ask about uh, the casting. Like, you know, w- why did you decide to cast locally out of the San Francisco Bay Area? Did you look in Los Angeles at all? Or was it a very conscious choice not to go to Los Angeles for actors? It, it was really just a budgetary thing. Like, I, I knew I didn't have the money to to put up someone out here for for however, however long we were going to shoot for. Because I'll get into, like, how we, we shot it and how long that took. But because... And also, I just want to, like support the local actors out here you know it's I, everyone all the talented actors usually just end up going to LA but I, I, there are a lot of great actors out here and I just want to make sure their voices are heard as well and for them to get a chance um, so it was in the course of like 2016 that um, I met the lead uh, Mandy Brown who is the the lead in the movie 
And if it wasn't for her throughout the course of the process, it was just her complete and utter just just love and and passion to, to have this film completed. I really wouldn't have made the movie. I wouldn't have been been able to complete it. And talk to us talk to us about how she contributed to the film in a, in a way that helped it get made. Like, was it just because she was willing to give you the time for rehearsals that you needed? Or was it really like you, she wouldn't hear from you for a few weeks or something? And then she would email you and be like, what's happening with this movie? Like, t- talk to us about exactly how she pushed you forward. Definitely. So, like, like I said, because the movie was, was improvised, uh, it was a challenge to find actors that could not only um, want to be part of a project that was sort of, sort of unconventional but be part of this sort of uh, improvising sort of talent that you need. It, it, it's a different sort of talent to have than reading lines and, and making those sound real than to completely come up with something off the cuff. So um, she was, she was, she had that talent. And so, and, and, and throughout the course of like, like casting after I had already chosen her, there were a lot of actors that sort of just fell off and, and for whatever reason, and, and I don't blame them, because it, it was sort of a, a risk. Like I'm just, I was telling them that, like, hey, it's going to be me and a camera and the, and the, and a couple mics, and like they're probably just sirens are going off in their head. Like, yeah, this is never going to see the light of day and all that stuff. And um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't blame them, but um, but yeah, really, it was her determination after they had said no, and and numerous actors have just just passed on the movie, and I, I just felt like this movie was never going to be made. She was there, and she's like, hey we can we can do a scene just me and you and you know we we have a camera and we can just go out and do it and and sort of this idea which i wanted to get into is like uh, no spoilers but there's sort of this thing that happens halfway through that um that 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 i I, i'm trying to not say should i just spoil it i mean it's already on youtube yeah you can spoil it just spoil (laughs) it now okay everyone here's your full spoiler warning if you go past this point there's gonna be spoilers but I haven't seen it. <laughs> Sorry, Liz. <laughs> okay, you're right. You're right. It's my fault. Yeah, Go yeah, ahead. You have to suffer. You know, so like, uh, I don't think I don't think it'll ruin your enjoyment of the movie if you knew. But like, it, it's basically there's there's an, another version of her, just like sort of like the same genre that Ulrich is making his movie in, of like this sort of doppelganger sort of thing going on. Um, right. And now, now you can see why I liked it so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like. Um, it, it, it was, I did not intend to make a doppelganger film. Um, it was because of Mandy and because she was always there, I would always joke that, Hey, I wish there was two of you. And so that sort of just became a reality. Yeah. So then, so then the project became tremendously easier because I had this actress who was, who was, had the same level of passion as I did to make this movie. And then we, we made a plot device where she can be there for the majority of the time. And I can have um, all the other actors just sort of be day players and just sort of come in for a day. I wasn't asking a lot of them. We didn't shoot for like 14-hour days. It'd be like, hey, can you come out for a couple hours? And then you're done. Um, I think like the supporting cast, I think the most is like three days. Uh, but for the most part, uh, Mandy was the one who was almost there the entire time. And then, did you do this completely non-union, or was there any? Yes. Un- oh, okay. Nice. It w- yeah, it was completely non-union. Um, like just just going back to like the spirit of it. Like we're just going to do this like raw with you know Dogma ninety five spirit. You know. And so, and you never thought in your mind that okay, look, let me get some well-known actor in this or somebody with some sort of 
kind of uh, recognizable face just because you knew that a you wouldn't be able to afford them and b you wanted to shoot this your movie in a certain way that really wouldn't allow for that right right exactly and like i'm a i'm a known name director who's asking them to do this sort of unorthodox project so um yeah it was definitely that had a factor to do it but also uh, another factor was that like i already knew what audience would like this regardless if there's a star you know i i watch lgbt movies and i I know a lot of those actors are not stars and so i was making the movie for an audience and i knew that if that that audience is is okay with with watching a drama or a comedy that doesn't have uh, a lead actor that they can recognize but for your next project looking ahead you now have this feature you know beneath you or under behind you or whatever prepositional phrase. Um, do you plan on making a film the same way again like this? You know, I, I've been thinking about that and, and uh, this is a discussion I'd like to ask you guys about because this whole idea of features versus shorts and, and what really can get you the, the, the better sort of upper hand uh, going forward. But I wouldn't mind doing this again. And, and, and I did, I did want to talk about this sort of idea that filmmakers have, and I was guilty of having, of like this first feature, like this first feature is going to be the one that that breaks all the doors, and you know you're gonna you're gonna finally get an agent and all the, all that stuff, yeah. and and the and the reality of it is, it, it doesn't happen anymore, and and I don't think it really ever happens, and I think the fact that we always put up like El Mariachi and uh, Reservoir Dogs on this pedestal of like this is your first feature, and, and I don't think that's true, and it's more often likely that your first feature is just going to fall into obscurity. If you just give up, if you have this sort of career of doing things, a library of stuff that maybe, you know, eventually people will want to see your earlier stuff. Yeah, that's um, exactly what I believe. I think you have to outstay everyone instead of um, separating yourself from the pack early on, because, um, yes, there's Sundance and there's Tribeca and there's South By and there are ways you can brand yourself and estrange yourself from the crowd. But those opportunities statistically are very rare. So you mm-hmm. just have to outstay everyone so that all those people who made those giant splashes but never followed up with a second or third movie disappear, you're still there. And you look around and you're in a much thinner crowd. Right. Or And then you keep on making movies and maybe your movies improve over, over that time as well, right? Exactly. But I mean, I don't know. I feel like I still have that a little bit. I mean, you know, I haven't made my first feature yet, so I still have this sort of feeling like I really want the alternate to be this big thing that does really well and is like this, you know, like just really, you know, my best foot forward, as you say. But um, I think you're right. Like you can get really hung up on that and, you know, it can stop you from ever making anything. So, you know, I definitely think that definitely. you got to go out there and make it. And and, and Alric, I, I just wanted to say, like, I, I don't want to, because uh, sometimes I listen to podcasts and it, it feels like the person, the guest or whatever, the, what they're saying is sort of like the word of God. And like, you have to listen to the way I'm doing things. Like, <laughs> right. I, 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 like you could very well be that anomaly that, that does break through. And I, and there's, right. and the way you make movies is the, like the way that works for you. I think like a lot of the sort of colleagues of mine that like have said, like, you can't make movies the way I'm making. Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to mirror that. And like, if the way you make movies and the way that you sort of have an ambition for a movie, that could, that's just, that's just fine. That's fine for the way, if that's comfortable, if you're comfortable working in that way, then, then continue. But I just, just want to say that before I 
ramble. I think there's a graph of emotions that a filmmaker goes through. And at the very base of the graph, it's, um, I call it filmmaker delusion. And this is not an insult to you, Ulrich. This is like, you need filmmaker delusion. You have to believe your film is going to break through, is going to win all the Oscars. It's going to win Grand Jury Prize at Sundance. Because if you don't <laughs> right. believe that at the beginning, you're not going to make the movie. Right. And then you make the movie and then you see how it's received and then you rejigger all your expectations based off that and your film really could do all those things. I really don't want to be so negative. Right. Um, but I think you have to be delusional in order to be a filmmaker. Like my friend uh, always says that like my delusion is part of the reason why I'm a pretty good filmmaker because I'm so delusional that I think I can pull the stuff off, you know, and uh, and I do sometimes, you know. <laughs> It's your uh, imagination. I shouldn't say delusional. I should say imaginative. No, but I like it. I like it because I think there is a certain level of like, um, you know, you have to believe you can do the impossible when you're making a movie. And uh, exactly. I, I don't want to lose that even when I, you know, like finish this one and go on to my next movie. But I think like, you know, I'm not afraid of the idea of stepping down and making my second feature more closely to the way that Anthony made his first feature. Like, I think that's totally an acceptable way to make a, a movie. And it just depends on the, the story. Like the story will drive the best process to get the film made, you know? And if it's to make it for under $20,000 or, or less, uh, then yeah, let's do it, you know? Well, can, yeah. jumping forward in time, Anthony, because I'm in the tail end of my festival run for my second feature and I've become very cynical um, just like in the past day or two about oh, yes. festivals and about releasing work <laughs> yeah. at this well, I'm moment. Glad. You've been I'm cynical, glad you're cynical in the last two days. That is funny. <laughs> it really has happened in the last two days. It's really crazy. Wait, so there's, there are no more festivals for Speed of Life? We have like um, maybe three more tops. Okay. And um, and I've had some good experiences, but um, I won't get into it right now. <laughs> I'll just say... Well, there'll be another episode. Yeah, it's a whole other thing. And I just want to see, like, was festival... What was your festival experience? Was it worth it? Do you think that there's value in festivals? Or was going straight to YouTube the right move for you? Like, can you talk a little bit about the reception and your strategy? Definitely. So yeah, thanks for bringing up the festivals because I, I went into the festivals with a feature, like with that same sort of mentality of like, it's my first feature and everyone's going to care. And, you know, it, it, people are going to recognize it because it's a local film and even the local festivals. And like the reality of it is like, I also knew what this movie was. It was an LGBT movie. So I wasn't even, I didn't even bother submitting to Sundance because I wanted to spend that money and point it towards the LGBT um, uh, festival circuit. So, so that's what I, that's what I did. And to mirror what you said, Liz, like I am cynical now about it, at least for features, because with shorts, I, I've, I've gotten into a lot of festivals with shorts, because if you think about it, you're just asking the programmers, the curators, whatever, you're saying, can I have seven minutes of your time, please? And they're like, sure, why not? But all of a sudden, when, you, when you're asking, can I have 70 minutes of your time? They start to see dollar signs. They're like, well, who's in your movie? You know, they're probably thinking like, yeah. what, what, sort of, uh, what sort of audience are you going to bring here? And so what I found, and, and this is really, really, dis like, really unfortunate that, I, that it, this trend of lazy curation where they're no longer looking for new voices, even within the niche like LGBT uh, market, but they're they're sort of regurgitating like the, the what the big bigger festivals have already found, and they're sort of just curating that stuff, and and that was really really an eye opener because 
I, I thought like maybe I, I knew for for sure like Sundance and all and all those bigger stuff like that maybe that's already over but I didn't think that on the smaller sort of niche area that that was already becoming a problem and and that was really what I what I, what I was learning well it could be laziness or it's that the infrastructure is not supporting the programmers to like live on the money that they're making to screen these films and so it's like it's laziness but it's also like the curation is not being supported economically. So they might go to shorthands like Sundance and Tribeca programming. Like I'm still just thinking, okay, sorry. I'll just get get it out there. I got invited to a festival and they spent money to fly me over. They spent money to house me. They screened my film. And I would say a total of 10 people over two days, 10 people watched it. And I would have rather the festival spent all that money getting me there to figure out how to bring an audience to that movie theater. So right. it's like, how are we going to make a difference with our films if A, yeah, if the curation is absent, and B, if we're not actually screening to a large group of people, which is the whole reason why we make these movies. So when you had your festival run, did you feel like you connected with your audience? Well, we, we got into a festival, which which I had a f- short film play at a while ago. Um, and so I unfortunately was not able to make it out there because it was across the country and it was it was really short notice. And um, so my festival run was really short. Um, but after, you know, seeing what was happening and, and knowing that th- they didn't want... I'm not, I'm not saying that my movie is the best movie ever made. And sure, they, maybe a curator saw and they didn't like it. That's fine. What I'm saying is like when you see a pattern and then you see what they are actually end up programming, it's it's re- really surprising. And, and the fact that these festivals ultimately don't have a huge audience, like you said, like you'll get more views on YouTube than you would ever get at a festival. You The, the importance of festivals, and I still think they're relevant as, as much as I'm sort of tearing them down uh, to meet other filmmakers and then other other people because because that's where everyone sort of goes well so you but you played at one festival and you felt like that was a good representation for you to get out there you didn't feel like like how many did you um like set, submit to uh I, I think the count was like 15 or more oh that's nothing anthony you were barely barely rejected barely okay that's good <laughs> and, and you only got into the one well it's because it, it's because i was sort of the whole project was sort of an experiment like i said like it was sort of done you know in this fear sort of way like can i do it can i actually make it so a lot of it was sort of learning of what i can do for the next project so the festival thing was like as soon as the rejection started coming in and then you started to see what they were actually curating. I'm like, maybe I could just shift the little bit of mo- amount of money that I have toward like something else, something more helpful. And so I can get into it later, but like, that's sort of where I want, wanted to go to Facebook and like, let's, let's focus on like Facebook marketing and all that stuff. Uh, because the festivals ultimately, like I said, like, like Liz said, like you, you're not going to get a huge amount of people seeing your movie. Do we get to talk about Facebook marketing? I'm sure there are other questions about process that we wanted to ask first, but then Facebook. Well, I, I was just curious about, um, okay, so you you know you want to put your budget into the marketing and everything, and that you, were, you had a good festival premiere at this one festival, but what was your strategy for how you were going to release the movie to people? Like, did you put it onto YouTube at the same time that you put it onto Amazon Prime, or... Talk to us like of how you actually released the film. So um, 
the original idea was I, I I always I even I remember like pitching to the actors like I want to self distribute this like I I want it I don't like I know the realities of distribution and I know A twenty four or whatever doesn't pick up movies like this and um and if it does happen that'd be great but I would I would be really realistic with them like with the idea of me doing it all um, so I I originally we originally released it back in August uh, strictly on Amazon and. We went directly to Prime, and the idea was because we didn't spend a tremendous amount of money making this, and I didn't have a, like an actual set budget because we sort of did it as we went, and it was done over the course of a year and a half. So, so because of that, and because I didn't like I wasn't in debt to, to anybody uh, by the end of it, I had this sort of liberating thing of like, well. I can go to Amazon, I can, I can go to YouTube, and there wasn't this fear of like, will I make my money back? Because it didn't cost a lot to make to begin with. And then why didn't you, did you, did you do any period where you were on Prime without, or on Amazon without it being on Prime, where it was uh, like a VOD or like, you know, pay to, pay to rent sort of situation? Transactional. Transactional, sorry, Liz. I, it, it's up for rental right now. But I went straight to Prime because of this idea that I just wanted people to see it. I wasn't just, I wasn't trying to like make money. I, I just wanted, this is my first feature. And I told a very sort of personal thing that I hope could relate to, to people in the community. And I just wanted them to be able to see it. Um, so that was sort of the idea behind that. And ultimately why I put it on YouTube. And, and, and I'd like to say that like, I know that we say it's free on YouTube, but like there's ads on there and it's, it's sort of the same subscription sort of idea of like, well, it's, uh, it's not completely free, but, um, you know, I'm not looking to get rich off of it. Right. So the, did you do a simultaneous, uh, prime and YouTube release? No. So, yeah. So we had like, I, I think it was like, like four weeks it was on prime and then it was put on YouTube. So it was about a month. Uh, and then we went to YouTube and, and it was a month exclusively on prime. You didn't have it on iTunes or anywhere else. No. Okay. No. Uh, we strictly been on those two platforms as of right now. Would you do that again? Are you happy with how, like emotionally? Emotionally, I am happy because what was a surprise to me is that there, there are, um, there, the, the number on YouTube has been rising and, and that's good because that's what I wanted. I wanted people to see it. So emotionally I am happy. And the fact that, that if, if somebody wants to see this movie and and it relates to them, they can direct they can and it's accessible to them. So um, yeah, that that was sort of the uh, the idea of it. But like moving forward, I I know now like the data. I know how much Amazon Video Direct pays filmmakers, and I know how much YouTube can can give to filmmakers. And and the answer is it's not a lot. So. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> so you you got to be really careful and like this it goes back to the same idea of like dogma 95 and like i know it's a cliche but robert rodriguez when he made el mariachi he talks about this thing of like if you're creative but you're not technical people can stop you because you need, you need to get those people to help you but if you're technical and you're not creative you could be stopped again because you need to have an idea you need to have a story but if you're both if you if you know the technology you know how to make the film and you have the sort of creativity to, to, to want to do something, then who's going to stop you? Because you have everything at your disposal. And the technology that he had back in 1992 has come so far. And it almost seems like filmmakers aren't really taking advantage of that because you can shoot on a camera with 100,000 ISO. 
And the fact that we're still trying to emulate the Hollywood model, model like especially starting out, is really surprising because like you, you don't have to. You can if, if that's the way you want to do it, but you don't have to. And I want other filmmakers out there who might be nervous about making their first feature because they, they don't know how to work with an AD or, or, or all that stuff to be able to tell them like, hey, you can. And you could keep doing it the way that you've always done it. And eventually, when you get to the point where you can pay and have a big crew, then by all means. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people out there making movies like this, you know, like Noam Kroll, who's been on the show, like he has a whole oh, yeah. breakdown oh, like of, of how to, you know, make a movie for under $12,000, you know, a full feature. Oh, Jerry um, White. Jerry White does a 7K feature. Oh, he's a 7K. Nice. He has like a yeah. program called oh, yeah. The Seven. It's really interesting. Yeah. And I mean, these things are happening, you know, and but again, like what we've been saying, like it's, it, I think it's reserved for certain types of stories. And you have to be willing to work in a certain way, you know, and I'm not saying that I'm unwilling to work in that way, but I feel like for, you know, when you're trying to build like sets and you're, you're trying to have visual effects be a part of your film and you're working on more complicated, like, you know, I don't know, just like more technical setups, right? Like it just, if that's part of your yeah. vision and part of the shared vision for the piece, like, I think that it requires a crew to do it the right way, you know? No, no, but totally. Like, if you have an idea that you're dying to tell that requires a big crew, then, then yeah, raise the money and do it. But I'm just trying to speak to, like, the people that, that really were inspired by, like, sort of Dogma 95 and love those movies and want to do something like that. Like, yeah, the technology is not only here, but it's, like, it's so cheap now right. that there's no reason not to if you want to. Part of me wants to just like weigh in and be really pushy and like the Jewish mother that I am <laughs> and be like, Anthony, like, <laughs> you know, you should have gone on iTunes first. And Anthony, like, right. bulk up those Facebook numbers. And what are you doing? This could be a really great movie. I want more people to see it. And I'm curbing myself because I'm listening to you instead of being pushy for once. And I'm hearing you say, you don't need to replicate the Hollywood model this is your first feature. You're going to build on it. And why do we have to look to Hollywood as the way to release and make content? We can kind of build the roads ourselves. And I just want to throw that into the conversation because I think it's also an elephant in the room. Like you kind of throw it out there for free, your film. And I wish, I wish you, you were making money. Right. But right. like, I really am fascinated a, a, by this. Especially in a situation where you could have easily recouped your budget because it's so low like it's so low you don't even know what it is because you weren't keeping a track of it you know <laughs> exactly. it's probably like like well under five thousand dollars thousand well right. under a thousand dollars so it's like really really low so i mean like probably a little bit more like this is the thing that i've been learning through the podcast of the last like you know probably six to ten episodes where we talked to a lot of people who are doing this self-distribution thing and like the 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 model of releasing it on iTunes or Amazon um, on uh, as, as transa transactional, like first for like at least six weeks or something, that seems to be the way that people are getting some kind of return. Because even if you're not doing a ton of marketing, like you can get some kind of, uh, you know, purchase power from releasing your, your film on Amazon. Because there are apparently a lot of people on that platform looking for indie films to watch, you know, so... 
I think when you do this Definitely. again, like it wouldn't be necessarily about um, only trying to get people to see it because the, the the thing is like once you release it on uh, transactional, it doesn't take away from the release when you make it on Prime or you make it available on YouTube. It only adds to the anticipation, you know, because then people are like seeing it, but they're not able to get their hands on it. Maybe a couple of people have rented it. Maybe people have bought it, whatever. But then it's just like gives you more of a runway to build up to the release on Prime or wherever you're going to put it like YouTube or however you're going to release it to the masses, you know? But um, he decided right. not to do that. That's what's so punk rock about it. It's like, you're, I, Anthony, we're just talking about you like you're not here. I'm so sorry. But right. like, you, I think you're aware of the model. And I think, I completely agree, agree with Ulrich in terms of like what the strategy is and what you normally would be doing. But my interpretation of what you did is you kind of just said, fuck you. Like, I'm getting this film to the audience. I'm removing all barriers and I'm moving on. But please, like, but like annotate this like tell me tell us that we right. have it wrong no you you, you have it right because you, you know you were talking about the long run and like that to answer your question like the reason i did put it out on youtube because i didn't have that debt to pay back to to my investors or anything like that so i had the freedom of like okay because nobody knows who i am right now let's put it up on youtube and let's see if that that creates people that knew who i am to some extent and then moving forward, then that's when we talk about like, okay, how do we make money off our future projects? Because when you're in a situation where nobody knows who you are and you're putting it on transactional, you, you got to put a lot of money into promoting that and, and yeah. to getting people to watch somebody who they don't know is movie. And like, it's, it's still a, a challenge to do for free. And um, so... That's sort of the idea be behind putting it on for free. And not only because I believe in the message and I want people to be able to see it, but this idea that like, hey, this is who I am. I make movies and, and you can watch it as easy as possible. Yeah, that's kind of my, my whole like philosophy with my short films. Because mm -hmm. there's so many filmmaker friends of mine who don't release their short films online ever. They just do the festival thing. They get, get a bunch of awards. They get all the laurels. And then they like either try to feature it someplace where they can sell it or like get it off somewhere elsewhere or maybe just keep it to themselves and i've always right. been a big fan of like just you know once it's done its festival thing put it out for people to watch get as many views as you can on it and like represent like let it represent me as a filmmaker basically you know um right. and you're basically you're doing the exact same thing with your feature which i think is wonderful and i mean i think it's great that you're in a situation where you didn't need to make the money back on it that's pretty amazing you know because Liz and I are definitely not in that situation. <laughs> well, it's also it's also the fact that like um, a, a lot of people do. It's, it's sort of that idea of like you're, you're building your this first feature up to this enormous thing, and then it becomes that enormous thing. Because then you have to 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 fulfill that fantasy or the dream. Not fantasy didn't mean to, but like yeah. So if you go about it thinking that like hey. I know that this is in the, this is for the long run, and 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 the fact that like the only way to practice making a feature uh, is by making a feature, and you can't like short films like I that, I learned it the hard way. Like there's things in short films that I never learned that that involved that that t happened when I started making the feature, like small things, like how one scene blends into the other one, yeah. how like a couple scenes before it is going to destroy the pacing of it, you know, a couple scenes down, like things that you don't think about making a short. And so if I was going to sort of take a risk, I want to make sure I know what I'm getting into. And so that was the idea of sort of doing this really cheaply and quickly. Or not quickly, but you get the point. <laughs> I just admire it. I admire it that you're like, 
I just, I was going to say fuck you again, but I just keep on saying that. So I'm trying not to say it. <laughs> <laughs> it's very punk rock. Yeah. Yeah. That it's punk rock. And I think um, right now Bean is immersed into the world of distribution that I am and that Ulrich is right now as well. It's like there are some kind of, there's like an orthodoxy that you feel like you need to follow. And I admire when anyone feels like they don't, they don't need to do that. Right. Yeah, and I think that's the problem with with film schools. I, I never personally went to film school, but they're sort of teaching kids how to make a movie like as if they were immediately going to direct a Batman movie right right after they graduate. And the reality is like they're not. And how what do you do then? Like it, it, it'd be great if you you sort of taught these kids how to make run and gun sort of off the cuff sort of things because that's the reality when they get out of a film school and. And like we don't like like I said like we we don't need to keep following the Hollywood model when we don't have Hollywood money you know right well you know I also feel like there's a difference between following Hollywood money and the Hollywood model you know where and also just you know making a film using the the traditional craft of filmmaking you know which okay. I'm also a big fan of and I really enjoy making films in that way and I think I consider sure. myself pretty lucky to have the opportunity to make a film in that way because it does require either having a lot of uh, resources that you can draw on, like, you know, crew who are willing to come out for next to nothing and cameras and lights and all the things that you get on a discount in order to make a short film with a 10 to 20 person crew, you know, or make my feature in that same method, you know, but I just, I feel like there's places for both. Right. And I think there's no reason why filmmakers can't be making movies, um, you know, in that manner with a 10, 20, 50 person crew, but then also go out and shoot something, you know, like another more personal story or whatever kind of the story they want to tell on their own with like a small crew or no crew and just the actors. Like I think both ways work, but the thing that matters no matter what you do never changes. And that's great actors and great storytelling, you know? And I think one of the reasons why your film has 14,000 views online, which like a lot of features that I see people put on YouTube do not have 14,000 views online is because you did get those two basic factors, right. You know, which I think why is why, like, at least for me, and I know Liz to some extent, that's why we're like a little like, oh my gosh, like you could have, (laughs) you could have turned a little bit more of a profit on it because you got the basics down, you know? Um, But at the same time, I think, yeah, it is a very punk rock attitude. And it was the, the decision you made that you felt was right for your career. And, you know, I think that you thinking it's right is what makes it right, you know? Yeah, and and, and not knocking it, it, in any other way to make a movie. Like, the way that you, you're comfortable making a movie and you like to make a movie, that should be the way you make a movie. And I just, but I just want to be a voice because I keep hearing the other voice. Right. Of, like, you have to have all this, you have to have this. And I don't hear my sort of crew talking right. uh, about it right right so i just wanted to be the, sort of another voice of like hey you don't need that if you don't want to yeah liz and i just had this conversation with um alex ferrari of the indie film hustle on an episode recently yeah. that may or may not be out at this point but uh basically we had this like whole conversation is like which route of filmmaking is the route that young filmmakers should be taking should we be trying to raise a bunch of money and like go make our films traditionally like the way that liz and i are are doing or is it better to do like the micro micro budget way where you just you know get a small uh, team together or just you and a camera and go make a movie like which way is better and alex is of course for the the other way you know um but uh but yeah you should definitely check out his podcast if you hadn't because he talks oh yeah no he talks about that a lot (laughs) 
Yeah, to- no, no. Alex is, was a huge inspiration for me. Uh, he was one of the podcasts among yours oh, nice. that I would listen to, and I, and I saw that's how I rekindled uh, my uh, sort of uh, Liz uh, Manishil, uh, uh Like, oh, she was she was on the podcast at one point. I'm like, oh yeah, that's and then that's when I found out she was on Just Seen It. <laughs> but like, yeah, no, but like indie hit film hustle, yeah, has been a huge inspiration for me. Just just sort of when in the making of it, just listening to his podcast and because he had done it already. And so it was, it was hearing that as well was, was totally, totally great. And, and like, I'm glad that he's putting that, that word out there. I also think there's this beautiful romance to going and just being with a camera and, you know, whatever the tomb fancy F 29 zoom recorder things that you were talking about earlier. (laughs) And just like the idea of the intimacy of the relationship between actor and director. And, and like, I'm going to be doing that with, I think my fourth feature or which may end up being my (laughs) third feature because I can't get financing for the third. Um, But doing kind of that apartment movie where you are fully experimenting and in the moment and present, it almost sounds like therapy to be honest. Um, and kind of exciting. So Liz, do you actually have this low budget feature written that you can do in an apartment? Is this ready to go? Yeah. You know, I mean, like I have a draft of the script. It's not good. And I was gonna, I'm actually putting myself in it. I'm going to be the lead along with Sean. Yeah. I'm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's because I think this is the most terrifying thing that I could do is to make a Jeez, slightly bold, improvised bold woman. Oh my gosh. <laughs> an improvised feature with myself in it and it's based off of our relationship wow. so i'm doing that and also it's like if i'm not really i don't feel like i'm breaking through and i know that most filmmakers feel that way but like it, it's very frustrating <laughs> oh Liz, and I feel your, like- your, your movie hasn't even come out yet how can you say you aren't breaking through <laughs> well <laughs> i know what the kind of deals are in, in my future and i feel like what i want to do is just experiment until I'm in my 50s and then I feel like someone will be like, hey, this girl Liz has been making movies for a long time. Um, So I'm also in it for the long game like Anthony, but I think Anthony might get in there before I do. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) Would be great to be at a festival with you. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. No, but but it's like, I forgot what podcast, I listened to so many podcasts, but it, it it was one talking about like the idea of like, like I said before, the first feature and all that stuff, but like you look at these big filmmakers, like I love Stanley Kubrick. He was like my Spielberg and like you look at Alfred Hitchcock and all that stuff. They like really hit their stride late, so late in life. Like you think of like Psycho or or uh, Clockwork Orange and The Shining. Yeah. That was like their last sort of movies. And so absolutely, I just wanted to hit back on what you said, Liz. Like it's about the like the long run. It's about staying there and, 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 and doing movies, not because you're trying to make money, but because you want to make movies. Yeah. And, and, and how do you do that? I think the key to doing that is keeping budgets low and sticking around. Because if, if you end up spending a tremendous amount of money on your first one, you might feel so jaded that like, you'll feel like there's no hope. And yeah. You know. Amen. I mean, there are so many filmmakers who make their first feature and then they're out, peace out, by no more features, you know? Right. And I feel like that was always a thing for me. Like, I never, I don't want to be that guy, you know, or one of those guys, you know? And so I've always, I've already been thinking about how I'm going to make my next feature and doing it in, in more of this style is a big part of that, you know, to have like a film you can make for yeah. $20,000, you know? Um, but yeah. uh, I do think this whole, like, I, I said this on the podcast earlier, but like, 
the idea of just making films, no matter how you can make them for the rest of my life, even if it's never something that I get paid for, is like the way that I want to approach the rest of my career. You know, that I am just a filmmaker. I make movies actively um, at all times, you know, at one stage of production or the other. And, you know, if they make me money, great. If they don't, um, you know, I'll just make another one. <laughs> No. Yeah. And you and Alric, you've already proved that you can do it. Like, oh, I, I'd thanks, love to man. see your dogma. Yeah. And I, I saw your like your iPhone short. Oh, uh, that, yeah. The, the one that was filmed in the other. I love that. Yeah. And, and like you've already proven like you can do like a dogma 95. Yeah. Movie, Cake know? is my dogma 95 movie where I shot it with my C100 uh, lavaliers going straight into the C100 and uh, shot it in <laughs> one like four hours um, on a Saturday morning. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, you know, it was like me, two actors, a piece of cake. And that was it. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm really happy with it came out. Yeah. Is that out on Vimeo? Yeah, it's on Vimeo. And it's on, on Facebook. It got like 22,000 hits on, on Facebook, which is pretty That's good. That's huge. It got like oh, a, a couple wow. hundred on Vimeo. Yeah. Um, I'll have to check that out after. Yeah. It was, it was written about a fight my wife and I had over a piece of cake once. So, uh, you know, <laughs> very, very light and fun um, and very different than anything I, I made before that, too, you know. But, like, even even just to, like, to talk about that idea of, like, you know, you made the movie based on a personal sort of thing that happened to you. But, like, even if your movie has a tremendous amount of special effects or visual effects, like, ultimately, every movie is a Dogma 95 movie, if it's a good one. Like, if it's really about human beings and 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 ultimately you could strip all that stuff away yeah. you know and and sort of still still stay true and the special effects can be done on a d low budget too i mean it's, it's amazing what you can do these days uh with after effects right. and you know you you just have to know the right person you, you know toss them a little bit of money and then like you can have visual effects in your dogma 95 movie <laughs> No, right. it really isn't impossible. You know, you can really do a lot of things like you were saying. I know that we're somewhat tapering. What's the expression? Tapering down. For, that's tapering not an expression. Off. Yeah. Tapering off. We're, we're ending I, soon. I, I have um, three more questions, but I oh, want you to go no, first, I have a question. Liz. Okay, I'll just ask this question. Then you can ask every other question. Um because it's my Hail Mary question. I'm going to ask this question, Anthony, and you're going to bring the whole conversation circular. I know it. So this is my question. <laughs> what does the title How to Grow a Tiger Lily mean? Well, if, if you see the film, it'll make more sense. Damn it. And it's right. sort of... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know the answer to that question, Liz. Come on. I saw it. <laughs> it's pretty straight. Yeah. If you see the movie, like, it's it, like, you could probably figure it out you were supposed to say that it's like this personal thing that you never mentioned in the film and it's why you made it and it has to do with dogma 95 like there was something there anthony and it was not picked up by you uh no that's okay i'll just watch it i'll just watch this fantastic movie but no 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 spoilers but you do not actually learn how to physically grow the tiger lily plant right uh in case you were looking on YouTube for that. Well, no, you shouldn't say that. You should say that it's in there and it takes multiple viewings to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, what fertilizer? When I looked, looked up the movie originally. That's what popped up on YouTube was how to actually grow a tiger lily. And I was like, movie! Right. How to grow a tiger lily movie. Um, the lead character of the movie is, is Lily, by the way. So that might give a, a little bit away. But um, anyways, uh, I had a couple quick questions. One was, you start the film in 4-3 ratio and then you switch it later. Right. Can you just talk briefly the, about the inspiration behind that? Yeah. So um, the idea behind that was um, I wanted to really make the two separate parts of the movie be really sort of distinguishable 
because everything that happens so the movie is shot by in four by three and then the other half is shot in two three nine and i wanted to do that because everything that happens up until the aspect ratio change can be taken at one value and, and then everything that happens after that could be taken sort of a different value and i wanted sort of this visual sort of distinction between the two halves of the movie and so that was the idea behind shooting the two different aspect ratios Interesting. Like, what does the different rep- uh, ratios represent? Like, was one supposed to re- represent more reality and one more fantasy? Or is that up to me as an audience member to decide what it means? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure, like, you have your own idea of, w- of what it meant. But, but like, the 4 by 3 aspect ratio, and to me, has always been, like, an anxious sort of <laughs> aspect ratio. Like, because you're very limited about uh, on what you can see. And so... The, the first half of the movie, as you know, Alric, like it, it's about sort of her anxiety at the worst. And so that was sort of the idea. And then when we go to 239, we're sort of a more, you know, free, dreamlike sort of place. And then you you'd alluded to this earlier that you shot the movie over time. But can you tell us exactly how many weeks or months it took you to, to get the film in the can? Right. OK, so so shooting of it took place over the of the course of a year and a half 19 oh, days over the course wow. of a year and a half yeah and i would never do that again and that was good that i learned on this because um yeah a lot of things change people want to cut their hair and all this stuff and and it, but it was it was just because i was i was afraid that i wouldn't be able to finish it but but now having learned that i would definitely try to compress it within the course of like two months maybe but never that long. Like now that you've done this process, you've made this film and you're very proud of it. I can tell, you know, which you should be because it's it's a good movie. Um, What is your plans next? Like, what are you going to be doing next? Well, I was really jaded after making this movie. Uh, uh, Like, and I I mentioned at the beginning of the show when I was much, yeah, when I was more nervous, like the fact that like, we're talking about shorts versus features and like this idea of like maybe making a short is better because like way more people have seen my shorts than they they've seen this feature i know it's just just started but like the fact that that was sort of a debate going in my mind um and the fact the fact that festivals accept shorts way more than features but but talking to you guys and and going forward like maybe maybe i'll try to work on something longer but i still don't know what's next uh i'll just wait to see how many people um, have watched your short films? You said because you have fourteen thousand hits on your uh, feature. That's not bad. I have a. I had a gay short that played. The, it's close to a million. I think. It was Holy like seven hundred thousand, man! Wow. That's huge. But that that was like that was a long time ago. That was a long time ago though. And uh, I've had I have a short film called Cypress, which had a lot of views on YouTube, wow. which I think was over two hundred. Wow. Good for you, man. But um, but I mean, a lot of it was not just putting it up. Like I, I had to put a lot of work into it. I, I t- had to reach out to people that might be interested in and show them, but wow, like, thank you that's awesome. for that because yeah. And, and I hope, and I hope like moving forward, like the feature can sort of get to, you know, that same level. Yeah. Or, or close. Right. Or right. Right. Whatever. Well, I mean, Hey, 14,000 is pretty good. I guess that makes sense that you have 14,000. Yeah, I'm, I'm not being greedy. Yeah. That's yeah, good yeah, enough. Cause, yeah. Cause your films on your YouTube channel too, right? The one that has a million. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So you must have some, like a good amount of subscribers from that and all that to, to feed into the, the features. So that makes sense. Um, yeah. And so I would, that sort of went into the distribution of YouTube of like, okay, well there's, there's not, not, not a lot. I mean, I wouldn't even say I have a lot, you know, from, from what people sometimes have, but like, 
Like I was like, well, there's people here, so maybe they'll want to see this if they like the other stuff. So, so you're jaded. You said so. You said you might make a short film next, or you might make a feature. You don't know what you're gonna do next, basically, at this stage. I was jaded, but n- no, no, maybe, maybe I'll try to do something long form going forward. But nice man. Um, we'll have to, we'll have to see. Yeah. Anthony, you should work with Jerry. So Jerry White. Um, has his own podcast, but he, which I won't promote here. Um, but he has this program called The Seven, where he wants to make a feature for under seven thousand dollars with less than seven people as crew. Oh wow! Oh wow! In seven days, and he's done it once, and he's essentially like open to people joining the program. They each they have to fundraise for their seven thousand dollars, but figuring right. out how to do it together and collaborating, I feel like you would get along with Jerry actually and hearing you talk I think would work wow oh wow yeah I'd love to learn more about that and, let's and, connect you two and Liz Thank you. you should promote Jerry's podcast on our podcast we love all podcasts so what's the name of the podcast I kind of forgot the name of the oh, podcast my we'll have it in but, the show notes <laughs> but Jerry White the third and he's so wonderful and I'm hoping my compliments will make up for the fact that I forgot the name of this podcast <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I'm really curious about that. I'm like, what? I'm wondering. I have all kinds of questions. Like, what does he bring to the table? Like, you know, if I can raise seven thousand dollars and go make my short my feature, like, why? Why would I want to join his program? You know, I'm sure he has good. Because you can hang out with Jerry. Jerry's great. Jerry is the value of the program. (laughs) Done. Perfect. (laughs) Uh, Well, Anthony, this has been great, man. Thank you so much for sharing uh, your film with us and talking about how you got it done. Because I think, like, like you're saying, like this is a a big uh, focus for a lot of independent filmmakers. Like they're going out at like 13, 16, 14, and they're making their first features. um, You know, before I even made my first short film. You know, when I was 16, that's when I made my first short film. And it's like, you know, um, I think having this kind of resource for them to see like what uh, a, a realized like feature with a beginning, middle and end with good actors, like good story, good emotional like core to the whole thing. Like, I think those are the things that we want to be seeing in these low budget independent features. And like what I see a lot is like people trying to reach for something that's more of a big budget story and cramming it into the smaller budget kind of approach. Right. And I think like, you know, that's probably a great experience. You probably learned a lot from it, but I think, you know, to craft a story that is going to hit more people, it's like trying to do it in this sort of manner is probably the better way to go, you know? Yeah. And and to any people listening, if they are scared to sort of have 50,000 or, or, or more on their first feature because they don't know how to do it. Um, just, I, I hope that I'm giving them some, some, you know, guidance that you, you don't have to, maybe just, just look like, be reasonable with your first feature. And then maybe the next one is that big and because, because you have a, you've trained that muscle. So now you can go out and do it, you know? Thank you, Anthony, for being on the show. So tell us where can we find your work and then promote the hell out of how to grow a tiger lily. Thank you. So you can, you can see um, like uh, anthonyaguirre.com of course, but for the movie, it's how to grow a tiger lily.com or Facebook, how to grow a tiger lily or, um, on Amazon to search how to grow a tiger lily. Um, and we're there. We're accessible. We're on Instagram too at how to grow a tiger lily. So, uh, yeah. Awesome. Um, okay. So check out our website, making movies is hard.com. And you can find links to things we talked about in this episode, including, um, Jerry white, the third's podcast name. And Jerry is a saint. He's a wonderful human being. Um, if you want to contact us, send an email to podcast and making movies is hard.com. <laughs> Find us Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at MMIH Podcast. I'm 
at Liz Manischel. Auric, who are you? Well, I am Auric B on Twitter and Instagram, but you should actually go and check out my film, The Alternate, at uh, The Alternate Film on uh, Instagram and Facebook and Alternate Film 1 on Twitter. And uh, we may be making the movie right now as you are listening to this. This might be coming out in December. This could be coming out right before we shoot in November. I'm not exactly sure, but uh, you should definitely check that film out and follow our, our you know, prog- progress because we're going to be posting stuff um, all the way through making the movie. So you can find out what we're doing over there. And also the crowdfunding campaign is probably over by the time this episode comes out. But why not just toss Alric some money anyway? Just track sure. him down on the street, <laughs> hand him $20, and make it go towards the great cause, which is the alternate. Right. And if the um, crowdfunding campaign is still going, it's probably... just donate it. Yeah, just donate. <laughs> and it's probably already way over the, the goal. We're probably at 30000 right now. So... You know, just, you know, help us get to our next stretch goal. Just toss in a little bit more money. Here we go. Um, if you like the show, tell a friend. Help us get the word out. Um, we're supposed to read reviews on iTunes, and we have done that yet. And I think that could be really fun. Oh, so man. maybe like, do it. I think their request should be like, send us like a really, offen- no, not offensive. That doesn't work for marketing. <laughs> Write something very extreme and exciting in an iTunes review to incentivize right. us reading it on the show. And we'll try to do that. Um, yeah. Thank you, Auric. Thank you, Anthony. Um, Thank you. Yay. Talk to everyone soon. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you.